Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. Yet again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So, hey, I am a happy, happy camper, you guys. I am feeling so much better. Um, Got my focus back. You know, got that fight ready to go, got that fire burning, and it is so much to talk about and so much to cover. So for those that have been with me all these years, I appreciate you. Thank you for your patience. And like I said on the show a couple of weeks ago that I did, you know, um, the last few years have been incredibly difficult for me. And, you know, in 2019, the first 35 days of the year, I lost two aunts and my mom. And I can honestly tell you that the entire 2019, that's a big old blur to me. I remember going to Brazil. I remember being in New Orleans and a couple of other things. But as far as what happened and transpired that year, it's a blur. I don't really remember too much of that because I was dealing with some, you know, other things and some promises I made to my mom, things that I needed to get done, and, you know, I got them done, but not without a fight, you know, and it's really difficult when you're trying to help someone or some people, and and they're fighting you on it, and it's for their own benefit for, you know, what's best for them. So anyway, I'm not going to get into that today, but I just wanted to let you guys know we got that fire back. Oh, yes, indeed, we do. And the machetes have been sharpened up, and I got a new sight for my rifle. So here we go. We're going to have us some fun today. Today's topic is a race to white mediocrity, right? So, you know, it's interesting. Um, You know, a number of things that I want to talk about. I put an outline out there for you all to take a look at. Please take a look at that. And, you know, what's interesting is when this translates over to Apple and Spotify, well, Apple, it doesn't really, sometimes the alignment is off, so that's not my fault, okay? <laughs> it's not my fault. Um, the links that I'm going to be talking about, the articles that I'm going to be referring to today, we'll do it in the same format that I'm used to doing. I'll give you the article title. I'll give you the name of the author and the newspaper, so you can go out there and find it for yourself. And um, some of them I will be posting, so stay tuned for that, and we'll go from there. But before we get started on today's topic, you already know, I like to talk about a few things just to kind of get myself a little warmed up and to um, talk about some topics that, you know, that basically go through my mind and sometimes run across my news feed. And so next Wednesday, this Wednesday coming up, as a matter of fact, I already have it posted, I already put it out there on Blog Talk Radio my show is going to be titled Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings, right? And again, Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings. And we're going to talk about a number of things. But it was one specific article that came out, and I posted it on my wall, and it was talking about a black Marxist scholar. And, and it's, you know, it covers a variety of things, and I just thought it was very, very interesting. So I, did, I guess we're going to be talking about um, race reductionists. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, ADOS, <laughs> AfroSoc, um, as well as FBA, you know, and when I say a little, I mean very, very little is going to be a, a very light, you know, contrast. 
you know, when, when I talk about those particular organizations. And AfroSOC is basically African Americans um, that are part of DSA, Democratic Socialists of America, which is one of the largest um, socialist organizations that are out there. But it was an article, and it was talking about Adolph Reed and and how he was invited to speak at DSA and how a lot of the younger um, people of color that are part of DSA, how they objected to his um you know, to his invitation. So the invitation was rescinded because they were going to do a Zoom and they thought they were going to crash. And basically that people were going to crash the Zoom. So, you know, that's that's not all I'm going to be talking about. You know, I'm going to be talking about, you know, some of these, you know, black people out here. Sometimes I like to call them tokens and mascots. And, um, and again, I'm not talking about everybody. I have very specific people in mind when I talk about these things and, and you know, about them hucking and bucking for some of these white people and some of these white mainstream movements and organizations. But we'll get back to that a little bit later. So, all right. So today we're going to talk about a number of things. You know, I'm going to talk about Biden-Harris 2020, Trump and Trumpism. I'm going to talk about Kanye and I'm going to talk about the black vote. And so you go and you look at these bullet points, you know, um, I'm not necessarily going to go in the order of the bullet points. And I know I'm going to be jumping around, but those of you that have been listening to me for a while, you already know how this goes, right? So let's go ahead and get started. So I wanted to, like I said, briefly talk about a few other things before I start in on a topic. Now, there have been a few things that have rolled out in the past couple of weeks that I do want to bring your attention to. Now, what's happening with this payroll tax, you know, and how Donald Trump is basically trying to suspend them until the end of the year and roll it all the way back to August 1st, right? And this is supposed to give some relief to, you know, basically working class people who make under $100,000 a year, right? However, I'm telling you guys, it's a trick. And I need for you to pay attention to this because it's not as though you're not going to have to pay that money back. You're going to have to pay that money back. And, you know, the people that they're trying to give this break to are the ones that can least afford it. So when they can't pay it back, it's going to, you know, create a bunch of bureaucratic red tape. And I need for you guys to understand what's happening because, see, if you cannot pay that money back, if you do not make a payment plan or however they're going to set that up, I'm telling you, these are the same people that will garnish your entire paycheck and and they will levy your bank account. They are going to get their money back one way or the other. So I get it. People are hurting. I understand that. Money is tight. You know, coins ain't stacked as high as they used to be. And in, in many cases, you know, there were never there were no coins to stack. You know, and, and that has been designed on purpose, too. And for those that are familiar with the show and have been listening to me since 2011, and I'm not saying you have to go all the way back to 2011, but I'm just talking about my track record. I've talked about these things and things like this. So I just want you to do your due diligence, go out there and do some research about the payroll tax 
But in addition to this, you know, what's happening is something that they wanted to do for a long time, which is basically push Social Security as well as um, Medicare off of the government role, as they like to call them, entitlement programs, but it's part of the social safety net, right? And they're trying to get rid of that just like they're trying to get rid of and basically privatize the post office. And this is something that they've been trying to do for decades. And, you know, I'm telling you guys, the stuff that you're seeing now, this is not new. The only difference between Donald Trump and these other Republicans that have been in office, whether they're in Congress, you know, whether they've been the president, whether, you know, they've been in your state legislatures or what have you, the difference between Donald Trump and them is that Donald Trump does not beat around the bush. He does not make it pretty. He comes direct, and it is what it is. I can appreciate that from him because there's not a lot of guesswork in that. You know, and, and, and I'm telling you guys, this is nothing new. And I posted a meme talking about how you have some liberals out here that are just basically telling folks to use FedEx, use UPS, you know, DHL, all of those different services. And what's going to happen is, you know, this is how you help them, the Republicans, and some Democrats, you know, we can't leave the Democrats out because there are a lot of Democrats that are complicit. But this is how you help them to deconstruct and dismantle the postal service to a point that it just makes more sense to privatize it, especially if there is discontent amongst the American people, the American public. And they know exactly what they're doing because I am one of those people, I get my medication through the mail. And... If I do not get my medication on time, it becomes a problem. You know, for the majority of my medication, I could probably go, you know, a few days, some of the medication a week, maybe two. But anything beyond that, it creates issues for me physically, physiologically. And that's not good. And you have a lot of people, you know, that, that receive their prescriptions through the mail. You have a lot of people that, you know, again, that that aren't necessarily on the Internet, that may not trust the Internet and all of the digital services that are available, so they still look for their bills to come in the mail so they can call and, and, you know, pay them over the phone or go to wherever they can go to pay their bills. And if the bills aren't arriving on time, then then you incur, you know, late fees and, you may have a stoppage in services, and especially if you have people at home that are dependent on electricity. You know, you don't want anyone's oxygen machine to stop working. You don't want anyone's dialysis machine to stop working because the electricity has been cut off because of non-payment of the bill. And so, you know, there are a number of, you know, um, issues that come up with this. So, I mean, you know, those are just some very basic examples that I can give you. But, again, they're trying to create discontent amongst the American public, and basically, you know, they want the American public to say off with their heads and talking or speaking specifically about the United States Postal Service. And, again, it's a trick. 
And also, you know, I'm not going to forget the biggest part. I'm like, I know you're saying, what about the election, Kim? What about? Yes, this is another form of voter suppression. And, you know, Donald Trump and the Republicans are scared. And, again, they're closing these polling places on purpose. Um, they're, they're trying to force people to go out and vote, even though they know that quite a few people are scared shitless because of this corona. And also the long lines, and, you know, this is a way to dissuade people, to discourage them from voting. And, you know, I just need for you all to be aware of what's happening. I mean, you know, you still have the gerrymandering. You still have them removing mailboxes from, you know, from these locations in the city. You know, um, Rachel Maddow talked about it a little bit and how they were removing mailboxes that were in front of the YMCA, in front of the courthouse, in front of senior citizen, you know, residents, you know, residencies, right, and 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 all of that. So you know, and removing them from in front of schools. You know, and to be honest with you, now that I think about it, you know, when I lived in Chicago, I lived in predominantly black neighborhoods, and you know what? I don't remember seeing any damn mailboxes. You know, I would always take care of my business at the post office because I couldn't find a local mailbox unless I, you know, drove over to the affluent white suburb which was two blocks away from where I lived, then I was able to find every damn thing. So, you know, again, this is not new. This is something, you know, these are tricks that they have been using for decades, you know, and they haven't even gotten more sophisticated about it. It's just more in your face because Donald Trump is an in-your-face kind of person. But, you know, again, I'm just making sure that you all understand and that you know you know, people are talking about Donald Trump and acting as though he's the reincarnation of Satan, and that's not necessarily the truth. There were certain conditions that were placed and that were met in order to be a Donald Trump. In order for Donald Trump to rise, there had to be certain conditions set to make that happen, and then Donald Trump is not the worst of them. What's happening with Donald Trump is that he is laying the groundwork for a more insidious person to get into office. And that other person is not necessarily going to be a Republican. It can actually be a Democrat. So I don't want you to get lost on that because that's exactly what is happening here. This is just laying the groundwork. You know, I've said this over the last 20 years, and, you know, if you go back to 2011, 2012 with the podcast, I told you that what was happening in this country with economic, you know, situation and and with the racial tensions and all of that, that basically then in addition to all of that, what was happening over in Europe, I watched the news for Europe and Africa and these other countries for a reason because there are patterns set. And if you understand and you know history, you will know how all of these things fall in place and what it opens us up to. And I have been saying for a while that what's been happening globally, but especially here in the United States, is that we were laying the groundwork for another authoritarian type of leader, you know, along the lines of, you know, Hitler and Mussolini or wannabe Hitlers or wannabe Mussolini. But, you know, it is prime in this country. And, again, like I'm telling you guys, 
pay attention. You need to pay attention to what's happening in this country. And, you know, if you all aren't aware of what happened in Stone Mountain, Georgia yesterday, now I want you to go and do some history on Stone Mountain, Georgia, so that you can understand the significance of that park and, you know, that park and, and, and you know, its historical value or less than value. It just depends on how you see that, right? And go read that up. So anyway, the Three Percenters, which is a white nationalist, white supremacist group, they applied for and they were granted a permit to hold a rally at Stone Mountain Park. So they were going to defend the Confederacy. They were going to defend white supremacy, you know, all of those wonderful flavors that make up that 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 soup of bullshit and bile, right? And they were going to, you know, defend and 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 and, and extol, you know, the, the 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 good things and the great things that have come from, you know, that particular history from that particular mindset. And what happened was the Stone Mountain (laughs) officials decided that they were going to close the park because you had counter-protesters showing up and there was a face-off. And, you know, there were some people that posted pictures, um, you know, who had actually went to the site to see what was happening. And, you know, I didn't repost them because I didn't get a chance to reach out and ask for permission to um to post their personal pictures, but you can find it on the internet. Just go and take a look. But you know, you had the counter protesters, you know, out there and there were more counter protesters than there were three percenters. So, you know, there was a storm a brewing there. So, you know, it was just really interesting. But that's not the only situation you know, that that had those same types of <laughs> of um, you know, conflict if you will. You know, they're having these rallies all around the country, and the mainstream media just isn't covering a lot of this. And if you want to find out more about those things, I would suggest that you spend more time on Twitter. And there are a lot of people who do not like Twitter. I love Twitter because the conversations are real-time and they're quick, and you have to keep up. But you learn a lot, you know, and, um, you know, you have some wonderful people out there that I've learned a lot from. And, you know, I bookmark a bunch of stuff. So it's it's a lot coming up. But, you know, I just wanted to bring that to your attention. And, you know, and I want to make sure, you know, today when I talk about Biden and Harris, today is not going to be a bash them show. I'm not going to do that. Um, I have my issues with Biden. And I also have some issues with Harris. However, you know, some of the things that I've seen coming through my news feed on Facebook as well as I've seen going through Twitter, you know, some people are taking this way too far, you know. And now that Trump is playing this birtherism game again, you know, that's this is a problem, you know. And it becomes a problem because, you know, it really does distract you from from being able to really pay attention and focus on some of the issues. But again, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. But at the same time, this is coming out of an old playbook. So, you know, the Cheddar Tater Tot did the same thing with Barack Obama that he's now trying to do with Kamala Harris. And the only reason why I'm kind of bringing this up, and, you know, I just kind of want to throw – 
a little twist to this, you know, if you don't mind me doing so. But why is it that when you have a black American, African American, however you want to identify with, because that whole issue surrounding Kamala Harris and whether she's an African-American, whether she's black, I'm not going to get into all of that today because it's a big old giant headache. But why is it that when you have a black person who dares to aspire to be president or vice president of the United States, that you have claims of them not being qualified for the job. But in addition to this, now with both of those particular people, with Barack Obama as well as Kamala Harris, why is it that their, their, their place of birth in doubt? You know, are you saying that African Americans, Black people that have descended from slaves, from the enslaved in America, are you saying that they are not intelligent enough to run for president and to actually maybe possibly get the damn job? I'm just trying to understand. So that's one of the reasons why I'm not going to really play into a lot of that because, you know, to me it's a more nuanced conversation then, you know, where did Kamala Harris grow up? She was born in the United States. Her father is Jamaican. Her mother is Indian, South Asian. And it is what it fucking is. You know, and you have to understand, not everybody who has brown or or black or dark brown skin not all of them ascribe to be black. So you need to keep that in mind. You know, go up to some of those Dominicans and tell them that they're black. You will probably get your throat sliced that day by a few of them, right? So, again, not everybody subscribes to the definition of blackness. Um, and when I say that, I'm talking about the American definition of blackness. So you just have to keep that in mind. You have to keep them in mind. But I posted a meme about this, you know, that this um, young man put on Twitter. And he said, how the hell do you think black people got to the Caribbean? You know, Jamaica and all them places over there. How the hell do you think they got there? And I'm going to go back and say this again. The only difference between a Jamaican, an African-American, you know, a Haitian, and all of, you know, Cuban is a boat stop. I'm pretty sure if we went and did our ancestry, they were cousins some kind of way. Because the majority of us came from West Africa. But I'm not here to go into that today. But, you know, that's that's one of the reasons why I'm kind of pulling back on the Kamala Harris thing. Because this that whole argument is is very convoluted. And, and you know, to answer another question that I saw going through my news feed, no, I, I don't necessarily believe that Kamala Harris was chosen because they needed a token. I don't necessarily see it that way. So let me put a twist on that. Just, I, you know, because, again, I'm here to challenge you to think. I'm not telling you how to think. 
I'm not telling you what to think. I just want you to think. So when it comes to Kamala Harris, and no, she was not my choice, but it is what it is. But when it comes to Kamala Harris, she is a double threat, you know, because she's already driving Donald Trump batshit crazy because they can't figure out how to really come at her. And also they can't figure out how to come at at, um, Joe Biden either because, see, with Barack Obama, he was the black boogeyman, right? And with Hillary, you know, we know these guys are misogynists. You know, many of them absolutely hate women. And they're like, no, I love women. No, you like having sex with women, but you do not like women. And with Kamala Harris, she is black for all intents and purposes. She's black and she's a woman. Two demographics that these Republicans and some Democrats are afraid of. Because you have two these two very different demographics wanting their fair share. So you have the black community going, oh, wait one damn minute. You know, what about us? And you have women going like, yeah, what about us too? And so she's kind of a double threat when it comes to that. She's black and she's a woman. And 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 so it's it's just real interesting. But again, we that woman part, we can't take that for granted. Why? Because fifty three percent of white women voted for Donald Trump over Hillary. So that same fifty three percent, if they wouldn't vote for Hillary, what makes you think they're going to vote for Kamala Harris? Especially when you have these white progressives running around extremely unhappy about Harris being picked to be the vice presidential choice. But I can tell you, me personally, I would have had a shit fit if he would have picked that Gretchen Whitmer, or whatever her last name is, from Michigan, the governor of Michigan. And Amy Klobuchar, I would not have been happy about that either. And because of what happened in Minneapolis or Minnesota with George Floyd, Amy Klobuchar knew she needed to bow out because she became a focus in the conversation, and she knew she needed to take a step back or she had been advised because personally I don't think it was her choice. I think somebody got to her and had a nice little conversation with her telling her that this is not the way to go. And this is just going to be a problem. But anyway, I want to double back to what I was saying about Barack Obama and, and Kamala Harris and, and, and their place in history here. Now, when Barack Obama was elected, you had a number of Republicans as well as a number of Democrats, white, white liberal, white progressive, white moderate, who felt as though the election of Barack Obama was reparations to black people. And I also believe that they're going to try to to play the same narrative for Kamala Harris, that they're paying even more in reparations, right? And so what I'm saying is, number one, that's a bunch of bullshit. It really is. And also, we have to be very careful because with those Two particular people, Barack Obama and Kamala Harris, we have to make sure that we do not allow the people that are surrounding them, their people, as well as these Republicans and certain Democrats, we have to make sure that we are diligent in paying attention to see if they're trying to capitalize 
off of and commodify blackness, right? And so what I mean by that is they're turning the blackness of those two particular politicians into some type of value and 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 in such a way that they feel that you know they've made amends for slavery and that we should be happy and why are we asking for more and in addition to that you know again you know I've made comments about you know John Lewis and and you know some of the other civil rights leaders that came up and how they commodify, you know, the, the civil rights and the black power movement and how they commodified it and sold it off. And I see some of the same things happening with this Barack Obama and, and, and Kamala Harris narrative in which they themselves can capitalize off of the fact that, you know, we've had these different social movements and, and now – you know, we're a shiny example or a beacon of light to the black community. And being able to commodify that and sell it to these so-called woke white people, right? Because, see, it's not just liberal Democrats or moderate Democrats or progressive Democrats that call themselves woke. You have a number of white Republicans that call themselves woke as well. And I need you guys to look into QAnon. Right? And it's important that you understand who these people are. It's important that you understand their significance. It's important that you track and pay attention to their growth, where they came from, their growth, how they're growing, who they're attracting, what is their what are their talking points. And you know, again, I I would ask you to do a comparative analysis of QAnon, the Tea Party, the birtherism people, and 4chan. Now, yes, I'm giving you assignments because I don't have the time to go through all of that. But again, I want you to do the research. Yes, I'm sending you down the rabbit hole, and there's a reason for that. And again, I'm here to challenge you to think. I'm not here to tell you what to think or how to think. I just want you to think. And then I want you to take what you've researched and what you found and you share it with other people. They may not agree with you, and you know what? That's okay. Because there's a lot of people who do not agree with the things that I say on this show, but they sure as hell tell me I make them think about some shit. And that's my goal, right? So QAnon, very, very dangerous, extremely dangerous with their conspiracy theories and the fact that Donald Trump and his people are humoring them by retweeting them and quoting them and posting their little videos and, and, and inviting people from these different media companies that they've started in their shows and how, you know, they're talking about, you need to pay attention and you need to take a, a look at the history of the Tea Party. So there's an article in New York Times and it says, what if QAnon is the new Tea Party? Well, let me say this. 
The Tea Party, they were fed up when Barack Obama was elected president. That is when they emerged. And they specifically were talking about jobs for white men and and white people in, in, in their place in our society, right? And what the Tea Party did is that they went into the Republican Party and took over. That is how we got Ted Cruz, Donald Trump, and a number of other people. You know, they they got on Boehner's, you know, John Boehner, I think it was John Boehner. Yeah, Boehner's nerve so much that he retired, and now he's promoting, you know, uh, marijuana. How about that shit? But they went into the Republican Party, and they took over. And, again, they they ran candidates all over the country for a variety of different positions. And QAnon is doing the same thing. And they're actually starting to win. They've only won a couple of, you know, primaries or what have you. But you got to remember, this is just the beginning. And one thing that they do know how to do is that they organize. 100 organized people can get more attention than 10,000 unorganized people. And I need for you guys to understand that and what's happening with that. And QAnon and 4chan are very intimately intertwined, you know, uh, in regards to certain issues. And, you know, we have a real problem, you know, with this. And it's only at its beginning stages. It's, It's going to get progressively worse. But anyway, going back into commodifying blackness, we cannot allow, you know, again, the ascendance of Kamala Harris to be used, you know, as basically a weapon or a tool against black people and, and primarily working class and poor black people and telling them that, you know, you should be happy with this. There's nothing more for you. You know, forget about it, get over it. Slavery was what it was, and there's nothing we can do about it. And again, they found money for everybody and everything else, but yet they don't want to give money to black people. And I remember not too long ago, Biden put out this little platform basically talking about he was going to create a $3 trillion economic plan for for the black community or, you know, uh, communities of color because it's not going to totally benefit black people altogether. It's going to benefit other groups as well. And what I don't understand is you found trillions of dollars to pump into corporate America to prop up the, you know, the the stock market, but yet you can't pay reparations to black people. You cannot find money for that. And so you're going to see more discontent from that. And that is what has allowed groups like ADOS, as well as FBA, to become more prominent and to have, you know, um, you know, not only a seat at a table, but a bigger slice of the pie, if you will, when it comes to talking about these particular issues. And if you're not familiar with those people, I strongly advise, because I'm going to talk about it Wednesday. Again, Wednesday's show is entitled, Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings, and I'm going to talk a little bit about FBA, ADOS, as well as Afrosoc. 
And again, um, Afrosoc are the, you know, African-American socialists that fall under DSA, Democratic Socialists of America. And, um, you know, I need to do some more reading and some more research on that, you know, for Wednesday's show. And that's going to be at 6 o'clock Central Time, so we're going to talk about that Wednesday. But, you know, there's a lot more to Barack Obama and Kamala Harris and the commodifying of blackness and capitalizing off of said blackness. And this is not necessarily, you know, the format that I want to talk about it under because we're talking about these things here. But these are some things that I just wanted you all to think about. Um, Another issue that came up this week, I know I'm all over the page, you know, bear with me. I'm sure you all saw that so-called peace deal between Israel and the UAE. Keep an eye on that because something about that, something ain't clean in the water there or something ain't clean in the milk. So, um, yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, you know, there have been a number of things happening, you know, in this country that are deal breakers for me. And again, yes, I'm going to go vote. And no, I cannot guarantee you who I'm going to vote for. What I will say is I'm going to vote locally, of course. I'm going to vote, you know, for in a statewide election as well. And of course, for my representative and senators, you know, for Congress that are up for re-election and the judges, of course. But when it comes to the presidency, I'm still on a fence tap dancing about that because I voted for Hillary when I didn't want to. And with this Biden thing, I still have a lot of concerns. And I don't know if I can bring myself to do it. And this is the same conversation we had when Hillary was running. So for those of you that are out there, don't be surprised. I mean, I remember going back and forth with people in 2008 about Barack Obama and, and you know, my reservations of him then and my subsequent reservations in 2012. But I knew that he would win reelection. So, you know, saying all of that, I'm going to go ahead and start diving into the subject matter, which I already have been, but um, basically – What's happening here, and there is an article in Politico, and let me find that article so I can tell you all the name. So this article came out May 10th in 2017, and it's in Politico, and the title of the article, Study, Black Turnout Slumped in 2016. Again, Study, Black Turnout Slumped in 2016, and this was written by Stephen Shepard, right? And so in this particular article, it breaks down the percentage of people or percentage of African-American citizens in the United States that turned out to vote. And so they did a little comparison with Barack Obama, and it shows that in 2008, 2008, when Barack Obama ran for president, that 65% of the African-American population in totality voted for Barack or registered to vote. How about that? Not in totality. The ones that were registered to vote voted for Barack Obama. And you have to remember, if you go back to 2008, there were a lot of black people that were not really sure about Barack Obama because you have to remember there were other black people that ran for president of the United States, Jesse Jackson being one. 
Shirley Chisholm, you know, um, and, you know, and people say that Shirley Chisholm was the first woman or first black woman to run for president of the United States. There's a young lady or a woman by the name of Carlotta Bass. And look her up. She actually was the first black woman to try to run for president of the United States. So, you know, a little history lesson, you know, go and look up Carlotta Bass, and you'll be surprised. I think I posted something about it. Anyway, if you want to read a lot of the things that I post online, sometimes I put them on Facebook, but not as much anymore. But if you go out to our Reddit forum, you can find it. So look for Black Freethinkers on Reddit, and you can find a whole bunch of stuff that I post throughout the week over there. And sometimes I take time off, guys. You got to remember, sometimes I have to decompress and let my brain rest a little bit, you know, but I mean, truth of the matter is, you know, my brain, I've turned it off for several months this year because it was just too much happening. So anyway, 65% of registered black voters in America voted for Barack Obama in 2008, right? And in um, 2012, 66% of registered African-American voters voted for Barack Obama's re-election. Now, in 2016, only 59% of registered black voters voted for Hillary Clinton. And so I posted an article. I don't know if I posted it yesterday or the day before, but it was talking about black voters under the age of 30. And I believe it was like 47% or 49% of them said that they were going to vote for Joe Biden. And a lot of the young people, they're not feeling Joe Biden. And many of them were for Bernie Sanders. Let's just call it for what it is. Because, you know, there are a lot of blacks in this country that know and understand that we need radical and revolutionary change. And these young people are all over this. And I've learned a lot from these millennials, so I have to give them credit. And, and you know, when you start looking at these numbers and, and, and looking at, you know, the discontent of the voters out here, at this point in time, I can, you know, say with certainty that it's not looking like Biden and Harris is going to win. It's not looking good for them. And, you know, Raina and I called it in 2016. We called it, you know, two, three weeks before the election. We told you that Donald Trump was going to be president of the United States. You all laughed all through the primaries. You laughed all through the general election. And then when the Cheddar Tater Tot won, sitting there looking crazy. And we told you to stop laughing. And the same thing now. You have people out here laughing, but this is no laughing matter. And he is doing everything in his power to steal the election. And you know, he likes to tell that story about the snake, right? And you can look this up yourself. But in his case, you know, we know he's the snake. So I don't know why anybody is surprised. So anyway, I said all of this to say this. You're seeing a decline in, in, in registered African-American, you know, voters. And, you know, the turnout 
And basically, I'm just saying, you know, for many voters, especially many voters of color, basically, they're like, what the hell for? What should we vote for? Why? They, they, they don't see a reason. And I also want you all to understand that there are 100 million people in this country that are of voting age and eligible to vote, but they don't. Why is that? That's a question you all should be asking. Why is it that 100 million eligible voters in this country do not vote? It's a very important question. And it's something that should actually make you think, which is why I'm putting it out there the way that I am. So I just say, you know, it's an article, and I'm going to post it out there. I'm looking for it, looking for it, looking for it, looking for it. And it's knowing me, who knows where the hell I put it. But I'll post it a little bit later. But it's talking specifically about the 100 million eligible voters in this country and why they do not take time out or care to vote. Because many of them feel like this, you know, they're damned if they do and they're damned if they don't. And either way it goes, if they vote, it's not going to change their situation. It's not going to change their lives, their livelihood. It's not, you know, it's not going to, you know, <laughs> there are going to not be any results that, that, that benefit them, Right. And so it's just really interesting, you know, um, how all of this is going. But, um, you know, it's a lot that's happening. And I need for you all to pay attention to Donald Trump because even before corona and before corona became, you know, a problem, the pandemic a problem, and it was pretty much sidelining everybody in this country, even before that started, and I need you to go back and remember because, see, one thing about Americans is that we have, you know, a very short attention span. But even before all of this happened, Donald Trump and the Republican Party were actively recruiting black people to go specifically into the black community and black churches to, in essence, you know, buy the black vote or sell them these indulgences to, to you know, uh, encourage them to vote for Donald Trump. You go back and you look. They were having these raffles. They were having these giveaways. They were giving away money, TVs, all of, the, all of these things to entice black voters. And they're still doing that now. As a matter of fact, um, you know, there's NPR article. Well, I'm not an article, but NPR piece, and I'm going to post it later. But the title of it is um, Trump Campaign Trying to Win Over Black Voters, but President Remains a Tough Sell. Again, Trump Campaign Trying to Win Over Black Voters, but President Remains a Tough Sell. This was put up August 14th, and it was written by Aisha Rasko. Again, Aisha Rasko, Trump Campaign Trying to Win Over Black Voters, but President Remains a Tough Sell. But this is the thing I need for you guys to understand. In 2016, Trump himself won 
8% of the black vote, 8%, with 13% of black men voting for Donald Trump. And I can tell you right now, you know, because, again, we do a lot of research. I do a lot of reading. You know, we look into this shit. Trump is going to win more black votes than any other Republican in history with this new election coming up. Need you to go out and look that up. I need you to go and crunch some numbers. If you don't know how to crunch some numbers, you find someone that can crunch those numbers for you. Because it's important that you understand what's happening and what is at risk. And and, and when I say what is at risk, yes, what's happening now with the economy, what's happening with, you know, the coronavirus, all of that extremely important. I'm not taking that away, but I need for you all to be looking at the big picture. How is this going to impact us five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Because it will. Lasting impacts. And um, it's important that you understand, you know, you know this um, snake pit that we're trying to navigate But, yeah, Donald Trump is going to win more black votes than any other Republican in history. That is the trajectory. And it's important that you understand why. And especially since Donald Trump and his black megachurch pastor supporters and his megachurch, his black megachurch, you know, parishioners supporters are out here putting out a lot of disinformation. And and the thing is, is that what I need for people to understand is that we've been put, we've been backed into a corner. And these white people, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, they have created the conditions that we live under. And it has created a desperation that we are trying to get out of that situation. And then they come to us with these, these plans that never come to fruition, but they come to us and say, well, we'll do this for the black community. We'll do that and and just vote for us. And especially when they're showing up to your church and showing up in your communities, but in the four years or the two years, depending on whoever is running for office, you ain't seeing them from one election to the next. They only show up when they need you to vote for them. And then you have a lot of people out here, especially some black people, that are saying, well, we just got to vote and get them in office and then hold them accountable. And I need for you to explain to me how that works. How do you vote someone into office and then hold them accountable when they now have access to everything they ever wanted? And they don't got to listen to you. And so this is what upsets me when it comes to the Democratic Party and taking black people for granted, particularly black women. And so I'm just saying, you know, um, it's, it's important for you guys to understand what's at stake here. It's important for you guys to start asking questions, question everything. However, since we're talking about questioning everything, what I also find a little, you know, disheartening, if you will, it are these people out here 
who are angry with those of us that are critiquing, challenging, and questioning the Democratic Party. And in particular, questioning Joe Biden and Joe Biden's history, as well as, you know, the stupid shit that comes out of his mouth now. As well as people getting angry because we're questioning Kamala Harris and her past. And, you know, and I understand Well, she was following the law as district attorney and attorney general, and she was just doing doing what she was supposed to do. She's not the one that created the laws and passed the laws. True. However, there is this thing called discretion. And in some cases, how she threw the book in the kitchen sink at black and brown people in certain cases. That needs to be questioned. And it needs to be answered. Joe Biden, he's just like Donald Trump. He can't help what comes out of his mouth because he don't care. Why? Because he feels as though you're going to vote for him anyway, that you do not have any other alternative or any other choices. And this is why you have people like me and others that are saying that the Democrats are trash, the Republicans are trash, they're all trash, and the system needs to be destroyed. Or at the very least, one or two additional political parties. This is where that rhetoric, this is where this is coming from. And this is also one of the reasons why Bernie Sanders posed the threat. And I want to take you guys all the way back to Ross Perot. Ross Perot, probably, he wouldn't have won, but he would have come damn close to winning when he ran for office. So this is not the only time, you know, and there are a couple of other examples, but this is not the only time that an outsider has run for president and actually won. Because Donald Trump was an outsider, so to speak. And one of the reasons why Donald Trump was somewhat of a threat to some of the people is because he would not take money from certain, from certain groups, if you will, and, and and mind you that these groups are have become accustomed to having, you know, a say-so in picking the president or helping to elect whoever it is. However, Donald Trump did not disappoint, you know, corporate America and his wealthy buddies. You know, he's made sure that they have been able to to profit from his presidency. So let's not get it twisted, but what I'm saying is specifically with Donald Trump, he does not like working class or poor people across the board, red, yellow, black, and white. They're all trash in his sight. Donald Trump does not like you. And sometimes it becomes really difficult for people to understand this. But anyway, what I'm saying here is how dare you question these people? Why is it that black people have this thing? Don't you dare question God. Don't you dare question the Bible. Don't you dare question or critique my pastor. 
Don't you dare question or critique my favorite athlete. Don't you dare question or critique this particular activist or organizer. Don't you dare, you know, question or critique this particular politician. What is it about this? You know, and it's not just the black community, but because I'm black and I only know how to be black and I, all I've ever been is black, maybe next lifetime I'll come back as white. I don't know. If you subscribe to that shit, you let me know how that works, right? But in black communities, we, some of us, have been conditioned and brought up and trained in a very authoritarian you know, style. And it's evident. How dare you question or critique your parents? Yeah, she used to beat you till you were unconscious, but that's your mama. Yeah, he was screwing every woman on the block, but that's still your daddy. You're supposed to love them regardless. Do as you're told. I don't care if you see them doing A, B, C, or D. We're going to beat you into submission. How about that shit, right? So when I see people out here saying, how dare you critique this great black woman? She's from HBCU. She's black girl magic. Black women and girls are seeing people that look like them and, 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 and giving them the courage to aspire to greatness. Greatness. The only thing I've ever seen in you know in my lifetime with these presidents is mediocrity. And actually, it was less than mediocre, if I'm going to be honest with you. So a, way, a race to white mediocrity. And with Donald Trump, the bar is you know is exceptionally low. And so what's interesting is, you know, with that, you know, again, you know, this goes into respectability politics. I want you guys to go and look that up and get a better understanding of that. But also it goes into these these tropes and, and these false narratives of exceptionalism, right, but especially black exceptionalism, you know, the talented tenth and all of those things. And they're all problematic in their own way. And, you know, in, in addition to that, white meritocracy, right, which is also a myth. You have people saying, well, it's Joe Biden's turn. It's his turn to be president, and he earned it. Joe Biden did not lift one goddamn finger to, to win those primaries, and it shows. He can't raise a dollar, but yet he won, and nobody is asking why. And I can't say nobody is asking why. There are a lot of people asking why. But people get angry 
you know, when you start bringing that up. And, you know, you still have the myth of, you know, American exceptionalism. And when you talk about American exceptionalism, please understand that these, this is, you know, that, that particular group, white, male, cisgendered, heterosexual, land-owning, wealthy, and educated or somewhat educated because Donald Trump has shown us that, um, hmm, <laughs> you know, there's this thing called inverted exceptionalism. And that is what we're seeing with this particular presidency and with that particular individual. So it's more of an inverted exceptionalism, if you will, if, if they insist on on declaring him, you know, as, as, as an example of American exceptionalism. And, um, you know, and I'm going to lay that right there because, you know, I really can go into this and, um, you know, there are a few things that I want to talk about more um, about this. But, you know, again, I tell you guys, question everything, question everyone. That includes me. Don't take my word for it. I want you to research everything that I'm saying to you, you know, and... One thing that I do want you guys to understand, with these politicians, as well as some of your favorite televangelists, whether they're Christian televangelists or these atheist televangelists or these feminist televangelists or what have you, and when I use the word televangelist, I'm talking about the ones that insist on being in your face, insist on being in every place, being seen, being known, all of this, whether they're black or white. Understand that the majority of these people have taken taken acting classes and psychology classes, and they are manipulating you. And that includes these black news media pundits and these some of these black public intellectuals. They are being paid very well to be overseers and to influence you. And you need to know what you're dealing with, and you need to know what you're up against. But the best way to insulate and protect yourself is for you to read or at least listen to some of these podcasts and, and, and some of the information that's out there. You know, when it comes to this and it, when it comes to the black community and, and the state of disrepair that we're in, you know, you know, you can't have this stance of my mind's made up, there's no turning back. You have to be open. You have to be open because shit changes. And a lot of times they're not putting all the information out there. Donald Trump and the Republican Party is a walking, talking propaganda machine. But that's not leaving out these Democrats either, especially these white liberals, these white moderates, and these white progressives. What's happening with there is they're creating a divide. And they're creating a divide between the black political class elites who, you know, however you want to call those folks, and working class and poor black people. And one way that they do it is, is, is very, you know, insidious and nefarious, but, you know, nefarious. But this is the thing. They're doing this by telling black people that Trump, I mean, I'm sorry, that race trumps class, Right. 
and 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 while there's some truth to that, when they put that out there and they bring up these particular arguments, they are doing this so that there's conflict amongst each other, which takes our focus off of them and the real issues that we're facing. And we're going to be talking about this next week, but I'm going to read a quote by George Jackson. And he said, the major obstacle to a united left in this country is white racism. And the biggest divide in this country is class. So there is an intersection there. And this is where, you know, conversations about intersectionality, this this is what we're talking about. And so, you know, again, you know, I, I, I didn't talk about it, but I referred to or, you know, um, race reductionism or race reductionist. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that, you know, Wednesday on Wednesday's show, Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings. But I'm going to read that quote again for you. The major obstacle to a united left in this country is white racism. And that came from George Jackson, right? And you may want to look him up and, you know, find out the significance of Black August and, and, and why he's, you know, a central character in all of this and to get a better understanding of that. But, you know, again, that, that particular argument of racism versus classism, and you'll have a lot of white progressives and, you know, just your standard white liberals talking about that specifically, right, about how the issues are about class, and, and, and they try to factor out race or racism, and we can't allow that to happen because we have to talk about it all. Because, see, with white people, it is about classism. It's the haves versus the have-nots. Whereas with black people, you know, we have the racism and we have the classism. You know, you may or may not agree with this, and I really am okay. But, um, again, with a lot of these people, especially some of these woke white Republicans and some of these woke white Democrats, you know, with their false fake anger, they will create these divides and in this confusion in their effort to take your focus off of the big picture. And if you go back and you look at a lot of the old black movements, you know, which some are still ongoing, because, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, those movements never died. They just evolved, right? And you you go and you look at it, you know, the black community, especially, you know, when you're talking about revolutionary radical blacks, they've always had a relationship with socialism, communism, Marxism, you know, and, and, and labor unions and coming together. It's one of the reasons why Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And I want you guys to go and, and look up the Poor People's Campaign and and what Martin Luther King was trying to do that when he was trying to unite. And I'm going to talk about that 
um, next week. But I also want you to go and look up Fred Hampton and his Rainbow Coalition. And what he was doing with the black, brown, white people, bringing a coalition and bringing everybody together. And that's another reason why he was killed. So it's just interesting, but why don't they want these groups to come together? But, you know, there's a flip side to that as well, because you have people out here, and, you know, some of their arguments I actually do agree with, we're right here and we're picking up and taking on everyone else's causes, and we're fighting for everyone else when, you know, some of the people in some of those groups will turn around and give us the middle finger and call us the N-word and then expect us to get out there and march with them when they don't like us and they don't respect what we're doing and they consider us useful idiots. So, again, you know, it's part of a bigger, more nuanced conversation, but I understand why you have some black people in this country that are like, fuck everybody else. We're only focused on the black community and what our needs are. I get it. I get it. But when you're doing that while trying to destroy other communities, that is when it becomes a problem. And we'll get into that, too, because, you know, um, mm, it's a trip. So anyway, let me pull it back to center. You have a lot of people out here that are writing off young voters, saying that they're, you know, they're not dependable and and they're not going to vote anyway. And we can't afford to write off these young voters. You cannot afford to do that because they're actually the swing vote, right? And so, I mean, I have a number of things that I want you guys to go out and look at. And I'm just going to go ahead and spit them off because it's like I'm not even going to touch them, you know, specifically today. But, you know, I am touching on them, but I'm not going to go too in-depth. Anyway, there is an article in the New York Times, The Week QAnon Went Mainstream. Again, The Week QAnon Went Mainstream. This was written by Charlie Warzel, and basically they're talking about QAnon and their dangerous conspiracy theories and, and, and how one of their supporters is probably going to end up winning a seat in Congress, right? And the name of that person is Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene. Look her up. And please understand why her success is very troubling. But again, I need to stress that you read some information about the Tea Party and the history of the Tea Party, particularly with Ted Cruz and Donald Trump. So another article is on CNN, right? And with this particular article, the title of it is, QAnon is Conspiratorial, Dangerous, and Growing, and we're talking about it all wrong. Again, QAnon is Conspiratorial, Dangerous, and Growing, and we're talking about it all wrong. This is written by Brian Stelter, and this is from August 15th of this year. So I want you to go and you read that. I'm going to post them later. Um, this other article here is from the New York Times, right? 
And I know, you know, when I talk about the New York Times and Washington Post, I know they're behind paywalls, which is why I always put the information out there. But the title of this article is QAnon, the Most Dangerous Conspiracy Theory of the 21st Century. Again, is QAnon the Most Dangerous Conspiracy Theory of the 21st Century? Again, this is written by Charlie Warville, and this is August 4. Okay, um, another article here, Forbes, is written on Forbes, and the title is 2020 election, what Biden's Democratic platform proposes for for people 50 plus. Sorry about that. 2020 election, what Biden's Democratic platform proposes for people 50 plus. And it's written by Chris Farrell. Now, there was something in this article that was very important that I wanted to bring to your attention, and I brought it up a little bit earlier, but it's talking about the social safety net. And, you know, the social safety net for everyone, but specifically the social safety net for, you know, senior citizens and people that are in retirement and of retirement age or beginning to go into retirement. And, you know, one thing that I've always said was a shame in this country is that when you're younger, you, you know, you save and you invest so that you can have a decent retirement only to retire and basically have someone pilfer and steal those funds. And a lot of people don't understand is that with some of these older people, I mean, you don't know how your body is going to react. You don't know if you're going to get sick. You know, it can be any number of things. But, you know, if you've worked hard and let's say you're getting $1,200, you know, from Social Security for retirement, let's say you're getting $5,000 a month, from Social Security for retirement, let's say $10,000 a month from Social Security from retirement as well as your 401K, your pension, what have you, right? Um, If you go into one of some of these senior homes, they take all but $50 of your money. They give you $50 a month to go in your pocket, and they take all of your money. So they're being robbed. And if we allow the Republicans and some of these Democrats to have their way, these people will have nothing. So people that are disabled, that receive Social Security as well as Medicare or Medicaid, they will be left with absolutely nothing. And so will a lot of these senior citizens. So you know, is I need for you guys to pay attention. Let me move on. There's another article on NPR, and it's talking about, you know, what's happening now with the DNC digital conference or convention that they're having. But this is from July 27th of 2020. It's on NPR, and it's titled, Democrats Meet Virtually to Approve Platform That Builds Off Biden-Sanders Efforts. Again, Democrats meet virtually to approve platform that builds off Biden-Sanders effort. It's dated July 27th, and Scott Detro, D-E-T-R-O-W. Again, Scott Detro, you know, this is his piece, and, you know, um, it's just talking about it. But if you read that article, it gives you a link 
to the Democratic Party platform, what they're proposing, which is what they're going to be bringing forth this week during their little convention, which starts today. And so you may be interested in watching that, or you may not, but I I do strongly advise you to go and read their platform, just like you have the Republican platform. I, I advise you to read that, too. Another NPR piece that I feel that you all should go and read, this is from August 1st, 2020, and the title is, Biden Wants the Fed to Help Close Racial Economic Gaps. How Would That Work? Again, Biden Wants the Fed to Help Close Racial Economic Gaps. How Would That Work? And this piece is by Danielle Kurtz-Levitt. Danielle Kurtz-Levin, or Kurtz-Levin. Yeah, this is where names and sometimes words come to die. So anyway, this is on NPR. Another article that I want you to look, and this is on the conversation, right? And the title of this article is, Young Black Americans Not Sold on Biden, the Democrats, or Voting. Again, Young Black Americans Not Sold on Biden, the Democrats, or Voting. And this is dated August 5th, and this was written by, well, darn it, I can't see. I don't see it here, so my apologies for that. But what I would say is read this, and it's talking about swing voters and why, you know, young black Americans are important. And, you know, it would be to your benefit to read that. Another piece on NPR is talking about Kamala. And the title is Kamala Joe and the Fisher in the Base. Again, Kamala Joe and the Fisher in the Base. This is from August 13th, right? And it's a 44-minute listen, and this is on Cold Switch, and this is coming to you from Gene Denby. Again, Gene Denby. And, you know, this is talking about, you know, uh, the black community, and Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and the divide there and why, um, you know, why some people feel that Kamala Harris is polarizing and why some people feel that Joe Biden is, you know, polarizing. So, uh, huh, and especially when, you know, since according to, to Joe Biden, that the black community is not diverse. But I'm not going to get into that today because I'm not trying to get pissed off all again. I told you all the title to the political article, but I'll go ahead and give it to you again. And again, this is from May 10th of 2017. And the title of this political article is Study, Black Turnout Slumped in 2016. Again, Study, Black Turnout Slumped in 2016 is written by Stephen Shepard. So I want you to go on to read that. And last Let me see here. I think this is the last article I want to talk about. And, of course, my mouse wants to do its own thing over here. But this is also on NPR, and it's talking about the Trump campaign. And so this came out May, June, July, August 14th on NPR. And it's basically, let me see here, Trump campaign tries to win over skeptical black voters. Again, the title is Trump campaign trying to win over black voters, but president remains a tough sell, Aisha Rasko. So, yeah, I said that earlier. And so that is that right there. So I just wanted to make sure 
that I gave you all the titles of the articles so that you can go back and look. But listen up, black people. We are in trouble. And I've been saying this for a while. You know, we are in trouble. And, you know, the Tea Party is still out there going strong. Some of their people have grown out of the Tea Party or have evolved from the Tea Party. And you have this QAnon. You have this white nationalist, white supremacist movement taking place in this country. And what you need to understand about these people is that these are also some of the people helping to to write and craft and shape and pass legislation which impacts us directly. So, you know, I talk about how people are getting angry at Donald Trump and, you know, and, and the president, and whether it was Barack Obama or whoever the president was, you need to be angry with your congressman, the rep or the senator, not only the federal ones, but the state ones and your mayor, because they are the ones that create, and not even the mayor, but, you know, your city councils and all of that. They are the ones that write, craft, policy, and bills that are passed into law when the president or the governor signs it or the mayor signs it. Start directing your anger, you know, still direct your anger at the president. I'm not telling you to stop that, but you need to get on the case of your senators and your reps. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, one specific group that's integral to helping people to put pressure on their representatives is indivisible. So go and look up indivisible, look up their information. They have free online guides that give you scripts on what to say to put pressure on your representatives as well as your senators, whether it's your state or your federal, you know, politicians or, you know, I'm just saying, we have to do something, but black people, we are in trouble. We are in trouble. And like I said, with some of these, you know, politicians and some of these you know, talking heads on TV and, you know, these these political pundits, you know, and advisors and all that, they're paid to tell you what to think and how to think, who to vote for and what to be outraged about. And they will do anything they can to keep their position and maintain their role as the overseer or the Negro whisperers or the Latinx whisperers. And um, we're going to talk about that um, a lot more next week. So, well, not next week. It is next week. So Wednesday, thinking thoughts and feeling feelings. And I'm really going to go into that more in depth. But, um, you know, you you may want to read that article about Adolph Reed and the Democratic Socialists of America and... His son, Teray Reed, teaches at Illinois State University down here. So I think I may send him a little note to just kind of talk to him, and, you know, maybe we'll have him on a show so we can kind of get a better understanding as to, you know, their position because, you know, of course he supports his dad, and and he believes the same. But you got to remember, you know, these are people that uphold Booker T. Washington, And the one thing about Booker T. Washington is he believed in bootstrapping. 
And the truth of the matter is that a lot of these black overseers, some of these political pundits, some of these, you know, activists and organizers, especially in a black in the black atheist community, they believe in bootstrapping. They believe you should pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It doesn't matter if you don't got no 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 strings to pull yourself up. It don't matter if you ain't got no boots. And if you got a boot, it don't matter that the sole is, is, is all open and, you know, and you got holes in them. They want you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You all need to know and understand what you're getting yourselves into and who and what you are supporting. You know, especially when they're out here hucking and bucking for these white folks and these white mainstream organizations and these white mainstream movements. It's important that you understand who you're following. And I always say follow the money because it's about money. It's about money and power and prestige and access. So anyway, you know, um, you know, again, I just want to pose this question to you. Is Trump and the Republicans and, and, and some white Democrats, you know, out here, are they telling the black people that are born and raised in America that are descendants of enslaved people, are they, are they telling us that we are incompetent? That we can't possibly have, you know, try to aspire or have the ambition to run for president of the United States? Sounds like that's what they were saying to Barack Obama. Now they're saying it's Kamala Harris. Oh, you can't be one of them, you know, American Negro blacks. You're not from this country. You came over here to cause trouble, to dissent. So, again, to have the audacity to aspire to white mediocrity, right? A race to white mediocrity. So, you know, and it, it, it seems like they're saying that it's only achievable by non-descendants of enslaved black Americans, you know. So, you know, this whole thing is just a whole bunch of bullshit. And, you know, when it comes to what I was talking about, how you have some white people out here trying to tell black people not for good reasons, but this is to create even more discord within the black community. But telling black people that race trumps class is it's not because they believe that that's what it is. But if they have us just focused on race and have us just, you know, focus solely on that, then we will not address the class issue. And we have to fight on multiple fronts. And classism is a very big issue, and it needs to be tackled. And so, you know, why is it that they do not accept that there is an intersection? Just like, you know, I don't understand certain black men that are out here and in some of their activism and organizing and advocacy, stating that, you know, they don't want black women advocating for other black women and girls. And and they blame feminism. Now, I have some problems with the white feminists and what they stand for. There are some problems with that. 
And if you go back and you read about the suffragist movement and how some of the black feminists or some of the black suffragists, if you will, were charging them with racism and how the white suffragettes, feminists, were basically blowing them off then and now. However, they come and find us when they need our help. And then when it's our turn to 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 get some type of vindication or some type of relief or some type of ascension, they, they turn and tell us, well, we got ours on our own. It's up to you. You figure it out. So anyway, going back to what I was saying about, you know, the divide that, you know, you have some cunning, you know, white progressive liberals and some white moderates and, and some white Republicans, you know, the cunning that goes into some of their talking points. And a lot of this is, you know, again, to create a divide. But, you know, one of the problems that have come from this is, again, these tautological arguments, right? And so when I say that, I'm talking about, you know, I'll give you an example. One of the scourges of the black community, in my opinion, are these megachurch, megachurches and pastors and the members. Right, because you know they're up there, and they're they're basically selling their black parishioners, their congregants, a Ponzi scheme. And if you really sit back and you pay attention to how the mega church is set up, it is a Ponzi pyramid scheme. And what they're doing is again putting forth these tautological arguments. You know, they 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 convince their members, and and, and again, this has gone beyond. The mega church, you know, you see a lot of this in the black community, right? And you'll see, you'll hear people saying, "Well, you know, God wants me to be a holy millionaire, a holy billionaire, and I'm going to be rich one day, so I'm going to vote now, like I'm a rich person." And they're trying to relate to their mega church pastor, who's a multimillionaire. They're trying to relate to these athletes that are out here, you know, um, playing professional ball or whatever they're doing, hockey. Um, you know, they're trying to relate to these actors and actresses and put themselves on the same level as, you know, financially, as, you know, these particular people because, you know, one day their ship is going to come in. One day they're going to get that pot of gold. One day they're going to hit those lottery numbers. And they're trying to live that life and 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 believe it and receive it and name and claim and blab and grab and it never happens but yet you're voting as though you can afford to give these wealthy one percenters and two percenters these tax breaks but what a lot of them have not figured out or understand is they receive billions, trillions of dollars, because, I mean, a lot of money was stolen with this pandemic. And, you know, that needs to, people need to start talking about that more. But where the hell do you think that money came from? That money came from working class and poor people. Yes, you're hurting even more. You can't understand why your check won't stretch. You can't understand what's happening, you know, with, with your particular situation. And that's because they tell you to vote for A, B, C, D, and E, but they don't tell you the consequences and ramifications of said vote. 
And it's not just the Republicans doing this. The Democrats are doing the same thing. And so, you know, if you're, you know, scrounging around in the couch looking in old coat pockets looking for spare change because, you know, you ain't got enough of your bus pass for the week to get to work, but yet you're voting for these tax breaks for the wealthy, I really want you to question your motives. And I really want you to go out here and do the research to understand this. And you all are sitting here listening to some of these wealthy people telling you A, B, C, D, and E, and they know exactly well what they're saying and doing, and they know how it's going to hurt you, but yet they have absolutely no respect for you and your life and what you're trying to do because they think that you're stupid. And they treat you as such. And this is why they create some of these issues to have people fighting about these things because, you know, in all honesty, a lot of these billionaires and multi-multi-millionaires are scared. They are scared of the people coming together and coming against them. So, anyway, you know, I just, you know, it's a number of things. You know, one of the things, are black people traditionally conservative? There are many people that say yes. And I want you to go and I want you to look up how black people started supporting the Democratic Party because black people used to support the Republicans. So I need you to go back and look up, you know, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, FDR, and the New Deal and the Promises. And then you also need to go and look up um, Reconstruction and the Promises that were made to black people and how, you know, at that point, you started having black people vote Democrat. And you need to understand who the, Dem- the history of the Democrats, Dixiecrats. And, you know, you have these Biden people in the Democratic Party going after these white voters that voted for Donald Trump. And, and many of them are, you know, racist, if you will. And they want those votes. Why are you so desperate to have racist white people vote for you? But let's not get it twisted. Okay, let's not get it twisted because um, a lot of the people that voted for Donald Trump weren't necessarily working class and poor white people. The people that put Donald Trump over the threshold and win the presidency were wealthy white people. And people are not bringing that narrative up, not nearly enough. And they're going to try to elect him again. Why? Because they benefit from him. And again, he's told you, he's, he's displayed utter disdain for working class and poor people across the board. You can be white, purple, black, brown, orange. He don't like you. And you need to get that in your head. Another question, are black people skeptical? Yes. Why? Because we have been lied to over and over again. We've been taken for granted. This is why you see a lot of apathy and why you hear a lot of black people say it doesn't make a difference one way or the other. We're going to get screwed. And then you also have white people out here who basically understand and know and will tell you whether they vote for a Republican or a Democrat that their situation is not going to change. It's going to get better for them. Why? Because they're white. 
and they understand that. And again, I talked about the white feminists and how 53 of white women and how 53% of them voted for Donald Trump. White women will, will attach themselves to their proximity to white men, and they will vote that way every time because they benefit from that. You know, and so, you know, is the power base shifting? It seems as though it is. We have to sit back and watch. But, you know, you have people out here who they would rather see Trump win as opposed to Biden because of what has happened with the Democratic Party over the years and how they've shut out and shut down you know, any type of radical or revolutionary change. And how with the election of Biden and Harris, how that will shut out, you know, any type of real progressive change, at least for the next 20 years. You know, that is the understanding of some people. And, you know, I need to do some more reading and some more research into that. But, um, you know, my reservations are very real, but we didn't come here to get my opinion on that, if you will. But um, do we owe the Democratic Party anything? Hell no. You know, and you need to pay attention to what's happening with this domestic terrorism, because a lot of that is being wrapped up in the flag of the United States, being wrapped up in patriotism, being wrapped up in, 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 in public service, if you will. And these folks are running for office. And again, they're helping to write and shape policy and bills, which are then turned into law. But in addition to that, with a lot of these talking heads, especially on Fox News, and sometimes with, you know, CNN, but, you know, and, and I want you all to understand that MSNBC is owned by Comcast, which is very conservative. And if you haven't been paying attention, you, have, you should have been seeing a change happening and taking place on MSNBC, too. And um, basically, you know, I just need for you all to be mindful and do your due diligence and and understand what's happening around you. You know, so again, you know, if you have people telling you that critical analysis and and critiques and questioning of their said, you know, um favorite political you know, candidate or you know their pastor or their favorite activist or organizer or their favorite person on television, if they're getting angry because you're critiquing that person or questioning them, you need to ask why. You know, and so, again, what exactly is Joe Biden and, and, and Kamala Harris going to do for the black community? We shall see. You know, and so, again, go and read their Democratic platform that they're presenting this week. Um, you can find a copy of it on that NPR uh, article that I told you about, which, what's in the Democratic platform for 2020. And it gives you a link, and you'll, it'll send you to either a Word doc or a PDF, however you choose to open it up, right? And, again, I just want you guys to understand the history of everything. 
So, you know, I'm getting ready to wrap this up, but, you know, I have Kanye on my little list here. And Kanye is Kanye. Kanye is being Kanye. Kanye got some issues going on. Yay, Kanye. Right? Um, His wife and his mother-in-law. You know, he called them white supremacists that were trying to control what he said and did. And and that was after Kim put out a statement regarding, you know, asking for privacy and and and, and basically trying to make excuses for Kanye. And while I understand that Kanye has some issues there, Kanye is cognizant of what he's doing. Kanye is allowing himself to be used by the Republican Party and Donald Trump. But Kanye, again, one of them token mascot overseers, he's getting something out of this bill. Kanye, you know, basically for, you know, I I haven't done the math in this, but Kanye is claiming to be a billionaire, right? And, and you know, people have assets. Sometimes you may not have access to liquid assets, but you have hard assets, right, that contribute to your net worth. And Kanye, has to take responsibility and be held accountable for his actions. And we have to stop making excuses for him and stop allowing him to slide by. But, you know, Kanye received a lot of PPE. I mean, I'm sorry, PPP. He received money from that. He received a huge tax break. You know, when you get, you know, a record, I mean, I'm sorry, a check back from the government, from the IRS for $50 million, you know, that, that that's a hell of a tax rebate or refund. And a lot of that is because he declared himself a 501c3, and he is a nonprofit. And so, you know, it's really interesting as to what you're allowed to do and you're allowed to get away with as a nonprofit organization. And I feel as though they need to go in and revamp and and change some of that because what people are doing with these nonprofit organizations is a crime. So anyway, I think I am done talking today. And so, again, a, way, a race to white mediocrity. And, again, you know, the, the myth of American exceptionalism, a myth of black exceptionalism, you know, that talented tenth, you know, the myth of white meritocracy and all of that, you know, I want you to go and look that up. But, you know, if we're going to talk about Donald Trump and American exceptionalism, that's more of an inverted type of exceptionalism. And, you know, you take that as you will. You go look that up. But it is what it is. Pay attention to QAnon. Pay attention to 4chan. Pay attention to the Tea Party. Understand their history. Understand how they are intertwined and how they work with each other. But, yes, I do believe that the power base is shifting in this country, which is why you are seeing white people freaking the fuck out. And you're going to see even more of that, you know, in the upcoming months because they're losing power. 
they're dying off and don't understand why they're dying off. Um, you know, depression is running deep in working class and poor white communities. And we have this opioid epidemic happening. And so it's important that you know about these things. But, um, you know, and that doesn't, you know, take away from the problems that we're having in the black community. Again, there is no such thing as black-on-black crime. We have black-on-black violence. But nobody is talking about the situation that creates that problem. Vi- you know, you know, and let's talk about violence. Poverty is violence. Gentrification is violence, right? Not being able to afford daycare is violence. Not having a, a, a grocery store with fresh food and all of those things in your neighborhood, that is violence. And then you wonder why you have people you know, rebelling at this point. And, oh, yeah, since I'm going to talk about that for a minute, yeah, I said I was wrapping it up. I'm going to get there. Um, You know, what's happening in Chicago, again, you have these people out here putting down black rebellions, but you're not addressing the issues that create the problem. And so I, you know, have no critique of the looting that is happening, that has happened in Chicago. But what I will say is, you know, the media is playing a very dangerous game because some of the, 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 the situations that are taking place in Chicago are not sponsored by Black Lives Matter. And the Chicago chapter, which I know them very well because I used to be a part of it, um, you're blaming stuff on them that they didn't do. I know they didn't do it. And they're not responsible for it. So, you know, again, take a lot of these stories with a grain of salt, if you will. And even down here where I'm living now, you know, the BLM group down here, there's a situation happening. And if you all are listening to this show, um, I strongly advise you to put out a statement and distance yourself from that particular issue there. Because you're already being watched because you're a BLM group. But now I can pretty much guarantee you that you are being highly surveilled because of what just took place in the last couple of weeks. So it's to your benefit. You need to put out a presser. Otherwise, it's going to seem as though you're trying to cover and shield that particular individual. And you would be wise to make sure that this person is held accountable and responsible for what they did because that is a crime. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So um, um, it's interesting. Um, And while I'm giving this advice to the local BLM group, that does not mean that I want to be actively Um, participating in your group, and I still have my issues. As long as you allow those white people to claim that they are a member of your BLM group, I will never participate in any of your activities or support you. So I just want to make sure that that's clear. These white people have their own groups, um, you know, and and some of these white anti-racist organizations are being held accountable with permission um, by BLM and other black organizations out there 
to help them better understand why they need to be anti-racist. It's no longer okay to just not be racist. You have to be anti-racist. And when you have white people wanting and insisting on being a member of, you know, these black organizations, and what happens is they want to center themselves and want to center their feelings and their thoughts. And when you do not, and, you know, they'll give you money, you know, help you set up speaking engagements. But the minute you say something off script, something that may hurt their feelings or offend them, then that's when you will see the boundaries of that said alliance or allyship or friendship or what have you. And that's very dangerous because they control you. And you can see this across a number of, you know, different movements, but the way that Black Lives Matter is set up, they do not have white members. Okay? So until you revamp your platform, there's nothing for us to talk about. But I did give you some friendly, free advice there on what you need to do about that particular situation because otherwise, you know, and I can't even say people are going to start blaming you. They're blaming you now. And you have a PR nightmare on your hand. And um, if you want me to talk to you about that, I'll definitely talk to you about that. But you need to make some real fundamental changes to your organization because this is not going to go away. And your being silent is is not going to make you look any better. It makes you look complicit. So anyway, all right, y'all, I'm done talking. I think I'm all talked out. Wednesday, 6 o'clock Central Daylight Time, what have you. The name of the show is Thinking Thoughts and Feeling Feelings. I'm going to give you this quote one more time from George Jackson. The major obstacle to a united left to a united left in this country is white racism. Again, the major obstacle to a united left in this country is white racism. And even though the biggest divide in this country is class, the haves versus the have-nots, we cannot overlook, disregard, or reject the racial component of it. We cannot do that. That has to be tackled. That has to be tackled first before we can wage a real, you know, class war against the powers that be. And, again, I want you guys to go and look up tautological arguments, understand what I mean and what I'm talking about with that, and how, you know, within the black community, how those tautological arguments have been turned into a sermon have been turned into, you know, talking points for your favorite religious leader and why that is problematic, right? But see, this is the thing. The same thing is happening in the atheist community, especially the black atheist community, in which you have some people out here who are trying to discount race, again, race reductionism, right, and and, and, and trying to align themselves with these white atheists, with these wealthy white atheists, and not saying anything that will anger or antagonize or upset their white benefactors, right? So we're going to get into that, and we know Kim gives no damn about none of that shit, and we're going to talk about it, 
And like I said, folks, I am back. The machetes are sharp, and I got a new sight for my rifles. It was good to see y'all. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thank you for being patient with me. Much love to you people. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Kim, Black Free Thinkers, you can find us on Reddit, Facebook, as well as Twitter. Start following us on Twitter. We got some new delicious things coming up, and I'm going to be changing some of my format and all of that. And now I've got my focus. i got my energy back. Let's do this shit, y'all. Take it easy now. Good night.